Unfiltered. Broadcasting live from West Wichita in the KQAM studios. It's time for your weekend kickstart with Wichita's number one conservative talk radio host. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Darn right it is. Welcome into Candace Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. Hey, happy Saturday to you. Thanks for hanging out with us today, trying to get you up and moving for another weekend. Boy, it flies right on by. We're officially into February. Can you believe that? One month in the books already. Hey, great to have you. Lots to get to today. Big show lined up as always. Bottom of the hour, we're going to play an interview you may have heard earlier in the week. Former congressman, former Head of the CIA, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, with his latest book. We'll play that interview coming up at the bottom of the hour. We got a chance to sit down with him the day after the book came out. How cool is that? So we'll talk with Mike Pompeo coming up at the bottom of the hour. Also, we have Alan Cobb, Kansas Chamber of Commerce President and CEO. As you know, if you've been following anything going on with the legislative session of 2023, we have a major tax bill in the state of Kansas that could potentially do some good. We'll see if Governor Kelly actually supports it or not. We'll break that down here in just a little bit and get your thoughts on it because we have record tax collections coming into the state of Kansas for the month of January. Shocker. And we'll get your thoughts on that as well. Plus, to wrap up the program next hour, we'll go south of the border a little bit as we talk with U.S. Senator James Langford from the state of Oklahoma to get the latest out of Washington, D.C. He is one of those prestigious individuals that is on the Intelligence Committee as well. So uh, we'll get his thoughts on what's going on in Washington, both with taxes, with the debt ceiling, and more issues as well. 316-721-8255. There's a lot to get to today. First and foremost, though, before we get to anything, two things. Probably the most important things that we talk about all day today. Number one is that you've been asking for it and wish granted. It is officially here. And Frederick, I know you'll be appreciative of this one if you're listening to the program right now. For those of you that have been wanting it, we are officially on FM again here for KQAM. It's not just 1480 on the AM dial. It's now on the AM and the FM. So if you want to listen to us on the FM, here's the kicker. You need to have a digital radio, meaning that you can get the HD channels. Flip over to 99.7 and you'll hear on HD1, the regular radio station of 99.7. You'll hear our sister station of Hank FM with Classic Country. If you have the smart radio, then you can go to HD4 and you can hear the Big Talker KQAM in high-definition HD quality on the FM. And we're broadcasting on both 1480 AM now and 99.7 HD4 to listen on the FM frequencies if you're able to do that. That's probably the most important thing we talk about the entire day today is that you can listen to that now, which is really awesome. Go to 99.7 HD4 and pick up KQAM. So we have all of our stations on there, actually. 99.7, obviously, is Hank FM with Classic Country. If you flip to HD2, that would be our Spanish station, La Raza, on 99.7 HD2. HD3 is our sports station of KGSO, and we are on HD4 with KQAM. So all four of our HD channels are now officially filled up, and as we grow and expand here at Steckline Communications, super awesome, and you can listen to us on the FM again here on the station. Number two, probably the second most important thing we talk about today. What in the world is going on with this balloon floating over the state of Kansas yesterday with this Chinese surveillance? Now, they said it was a weather balloon at first that got blown off course as it got closer to America. But come on, man. Do you really honestly believe that? In fact, now we know 
that that's not the case. It's a massive balloon. Everybody's been watching it, and it's a little concerning that it is floating over the country, and we haven't done anything about it. Donald Trump, other individuals have been advocating for it to be shot down, and we're not shooting it down. In fact, we're just letting it float right over the country for whatever reason. The Biden administration says that they've advocated to shoot it down but according to the military they say that if they shoot it down then it could fall and potentially harm civilians because of how big it is and where it could potentially land i don't know what the problem is i don't know why it's not hard for us to just say hey you know what we're going to take a jet and catch it and clip it and then fly it over to the sea and then blow it up and shoot it down because you don't need to be having it over our air zone but uh, i guess we're special kansas because we got probably the first look at the, uh, the Chinese spy that's floating high over the United States right now as they continue to just hover and uh, just observe whatever they want to observe. Who knows? Do you think that would happen under the Trump administration? No, of course not. No, it just happens under the Biden administration. So we'll keep apprised of that. But uh, kind of strange as we see the Chinese balloon drifting high above the United States. It started over the Montana area, moved this way. The big question is that if they were concerned about it being shot down over civilians and over the population, why didn't they actually do the same thing on uh, over the ocean when before it got over land? We knew it was going to be this way. Oh, sorry. It totally just blew off course. Really? You have a major balloon, and you just allow technology to just float off into the distance. Oh, our bad. So sorry. Does anybody really believe that? Welcome to the Biden administration in 2023 in the United States. All right, let's get into what's trending here in the state of Kansas, shall we? Big news over the weekend and last week as we saw the tax revenues for the first month of January of 2023 with total tax collections in the Sunflower State, according to WIBW, sitting at $1.05 billion in taxes for the first month. Let me repeat that again. I did not realize that our tax revenue was so big in the state of Kansas. $1.05 billion in tax revenue for the first month of 2023. That according to Kansas Governor Laura Kelly and the Kansas Department of Commerce, as they reported that on Wednesday this week with uh, the total tax-only collections that were collected for the month. Now, that was a 5.7% uh, jump from what was estimated or near $56 million, that is also uh, near 10% more than what was collected in January of 2022, up near $102 million more than what was anticipated. Good news, right? Everybody applied. Yeah, we did it. Our economy's coming back. We're actually growing. We're seeing tax collections come into the state, right? Is that what is that what we're doing here? I know that's what Kelly's saying. This is coming at the same time the Biden administration is reporting that they grew the economy with a non-farm non payroll jobs for the month near 500,000 as well, up near 400% higher than what they had anticipated with jobs growth for the, uh, for the month and a jobless rate that's a 50-year low across the nation. Now, the weird part is this all is coming at the same time where every financial expert out there is talking about a potential recession for 2023. So how are we spending more money? We're getting more money into the government. They're seeing these tax collections, which is their engagement on how well the economy is doing. It's not how much you're spending. It's not how much money you have with your expendable cash. It's not how much how many jobs you have or whether your income is increasing. They don't gauge how well the economy is doing there. They only gauge it based on how much money is coming into the state. So let's break down where the money's coming from and if it is truly a very good thing. The big part is the income tax collections. How much you're paying in from your tax uh, from your paycheck 
going to the state. That part is down. Now with a 10% year-over-year increase and a 5% increase, almost 6% increase from what was anticipated, they had income tax collections, individual income tax, down almost 12%, 11.6%. Wait a second, what? How are we up, but yet federal or state income tax is down? That doesn't make any sense, does it? Oh, that's right, because why? Corporate income tax collections were at $161 million or 364% over the January estimate and 425% over the year-over-year of January of 2022. Corporate income tax. The corporations. Now, as you know, Democrats, Joe Biden, Laura Kelly, they love taxing the corporations because corporations are evil. They're the ones raping and pillaging the workers and giving them low wages and not paying them enough to be able to survive and not giving them the, the raising the minimum wage to $30 an hour and just, uh, you know, raking in all this cash and not giving it back to the individuals. They're the ones that are paying all the taxes in the state of Kansas right now, which I find ironic because they're the ones that say that we need to continue to tax the corporations. So right now, They're the ones that saw the major bump as the Democrats that are in control continue to attack the corporations. They're now paying the vast majority of our tax collections in the state. What does that mean? That means that people are trying to buy goods. And unfortunately, I think people don't quite back off on some of their spending, even with the high inflation rates and the uh, hit that they're getting because of inflation in the nation. But nonetheless, they're still trying to pay and trying to keep and maintain their certain level of expenditures and their level of lifestyle that they've had for oh so long. And it's coming back to bite them. But the corporations are getting the money and they're paying more than ever before funding this federal government. Now, this also comes at a time when we have more in the bank with our reserves than ever before, largely due to COVID-19 money coming in from the federal government. And while Governor Kelly thinks that she's helping us out by giving us a little tax rebate here, a nice little paycheck over here, starting a program to help out individuals over here, nothing's helping us long term. So we're in a predicament, aren't we? Because while we have money now, you know what the government does when they have a lot of money now is they expand the government. They expand the programs, which is what we don't need to be doing right now. What needs to be happening is if they're getting this much money, then it sounds like we need to do some major tax cuts. Whether it's corporate tax cuts or individual tax cuts, it sounds like we need to do some tax cuts, do we not? Because they don't need to be raking in this money. What in the world could the state of Kansas be doing with that much taxpayer money except for expanding size of government to try and maintain that amount of tax revenue coming in for the long term when we know a recession is going to hit and all those corporate taxes that are coming in right now that look really good are not going to be there very soon. So (laughs) what are they going to do when all that goes away? Then the government's going to be like, oh, no, well, we need to raise income taxes. All those nice little taxes that we're trying to get rid of right now, like the sales tax on food and uh, property taxes that we're trying to limit and taxes on Social Security that we're trying to get rid of for for elderly individuals or retired individuals or disabled individuals, they're going to start bringing those back because once we expand and we become dependent on this amount of revenue coming in, then it's going to crash, and then we're going to be squeezing the state government because that's the cycle that we always have thanks to politicians that don't know how to cut spending. Now, there is one way to stabilize this a little bit instead of this high inflection up, high inflection down, 
back and forth, the recession, a good economy. There's a way to stabilize it. And it really is coming to the plan that we have under Alan Cobb and the Kansas Chamber of Commerce that we'll talk about coming up in hour number two with his potential. I call it a flat tax. He didn't call it a flat tax, but it's a tax where it's 5% across the board for corporations and individuals. And here's the kicker. It caps it off at $15,000. The first $15,000 of your income, you don't get taxed on, which ironically, with our three tax bracket system that we have right now in the state of Kansas, is already you don't get start getting taxed until after $15,000. So it doesn't change that. So all of the rhetoric from the Democrats and the other side of the aisle that says that, uh, the, that the taxes, that the flat tax would actually harm low-income individuals and help the corporations, it wouldn't harm them. Because no one that's not paying taxes right now that's under $15,000 already wouldn't get taxed. And anybody above that would get at a 5% rate, which we're already almost there anyways. We're at like three and three quarters, five and a quarter and 5.7, whatever it is, the three tax brackets that we have right now that would all be consolidated. So yes, the people that make more money would actually have a flat tax of 5%. And the ones that make less money would still not be paying very much, which I don't agree with. I think they ever all should still be contributing. I think even ones that make ten dollars to $15,000, even though they shouldn't have to pay much, I think should still have to be contributing to some degree because, well, they live here and they should be contributing, especially if they get government money, they should be paying back into that system in some way, shape, or form, which is why I love the idea that we have a fair tax conversation at the federal level by getting rid of the IRS, getting rid of federal income tax, and going for the straight fair tax with consumption only because that would make the system fair. You don't make a lot of money, you don't buy a lot of goods, but yet you would still contribute. You make a lot of money, then you contribute more because you buy more goods. What a wild concept. We'll talk about that more with Alan Cobb coming up in hour number two. But this tax revenue in the state, the Democrats are applauding. Look how great the Biden economy is doing. Look how great Laura Kelly's doing. Look how great the state's doing with all this money coming in. It's time to expand. It's time to grow. And it's time to flourish when our really should be saying, wait a second, we're concerned. Let's limit some taxes, get some money back to the people, cut some of our spending, put away an emergency fund, and get prepared for a slowdown in the economy because it's not going to last. So what we have to be prepared for. All right, we're going to take a break real quick. When we come back, we'll talk about some of these other issues. I don't know if you're aware or not, didn't really make the news and the headlines, but a transgender individual in the state prison system, a man who claims to be a woman, has officially been transferred to a woman's penitentiary. I know. We'll do that when we come back here as well. we got a lot to talk about. Mike Pompeo around the corner here in a few minutes as well with his new book, Back on the Home Front here in the state of Kansas. It's Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker, 1480 on the AM dial and 99.7 HD4 on the FM dial. Back after this here on KQAM. Let's get to Stay here. Welcome to Candace Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. Thanks for hanging out with us today. A lot of promotions going on. we got a lot of things to tell you about outside of also being on FM and the HD4 now, 99.7 HD4. If you want to listen on the HD channel, if you have a smart radio, 
If not, you're welcome right here on 1480 on the AM dial as well. We're not going anywhere. Thanks for joining us for a Saturday as always. There's a lot of bills. Boy, I tell you what, this legislative session has been huge this year in Kansas. There's a lot of stuff they're talking about. We're going to get some legislators on over the next few weeks, obviously, to talk about them. Alan Cobber on the corner uh, to talk about the tax bill that we just mentioned. But real quickly, there's an interesting bill that's been presented from some Republicans. I don't know whether it's because of the governor's race and Derek Schmidt losing to Governor Laura Kelly or whether this has been a conversation for a while. There's been different talks of different styles of voting systems to be presented here in Kansas, whether they're good or not. One of them, obviously, has been the rank-based voting, which I'm not necessarily a fan of. And for those that don't know what rank-based voting is, if you have four candidates on the ballot, then you would rank them. On the ballot, you would actually choose, this is my first choice, this is my second choice, this is my third choice, this is my fourth choice, and you would rank them. And then the counters of the ballots would look at them and rank how many first place, second place, third place, fourth place votes that each candidate would get, and then the one with the most amount of support for first or second or however they count those would actually win that. I'm not necessarily a fan of that race, of that style. Uh, right now we have a hard enough time just being able to count generic ballots, I think. So making it more complicated for our part-time workers and volunteers at different precincts, I don't know if necessarily the best idea for that one. But there's a new bill that's been presented this year as well talking about a potential runoff election system, which means that elections here in Kansas, like the governor's race that we saw in 2020 for the midterms, that if we don't get a 50% threshold, then the third candidate, fourth candidate, whoever's on there, would drop off and it would just go down to the top two. And then we would have another race a couple weeks later or a month later where we would only have two candidates on the ballot in order to get a 50% or more. Kind of like how Georgia did it. If you remember in the midterms when we didn't get a 50% threshold in the Georgia Senate race, then it went to our uh, runoff race just a month later. And it was a big and they had to spend more money and they had to stay on the campaign trail for another month. I don't know if candidates would necessarily like that idea, but it's an idea that's come here. Probably because, number one, we haven't seen a governor's candidate actually get a full 50% of the vote in a couple of decades. It's been a while. Because there's always a third-party runoff candidate, a libertarian, an independent, that pulls in 1%, 2%, 3% of the votes and just puts that threshold below that 50%. Sounds like a good idea. And I guarantee you that if we would have had that system in place for the midterms this last election, then Derek Schmidt probably would be governor right now. I'm just speculating, but that would be my guess. The problem is, is it doesn't really solve the big issue that's at hand right now, does it? If we're trying to solidify the party, if we're trying to win over voters, we're not really solving the issue. We're just narrowing the options down. If a third-party candidate, which, as you know, I am about as anti-third-party candidate as you can get, I don't think it serves the system right now, at least in the two-party system. I don't think it's fixing anything. All it does is sabotage the party that you're most closely aligned with, and you should really put your efforts into fixing the party with inside as opposed to just walking away and going outside and having a smaller voice and less of an impact and actually sabotaging your agenda at the end of the day. I don't support third-party candidates. However, that being said, it's time for the parties to win over more people. It's time for the parties to actually do more to win people over that are frustrated with them and are trying to go third party. Now, there's some that you're never going to be able to. The purest libertarians, which I love you to death. You know me. I have a lot of libertarian flavor to me myself. A lot of the purest libertarians are not going to go for that. No matter what you do, you'll never be able to win them over. Totally get it. But there's a lot of people you probably could win over. 
and the party just needs to work harder trying to win them over in order to get that 50% threshold. Look, Kansas is a Republican state. We have a super majority of Republicans in the Senate and in the House in the state. Why we can't win a governor's race is beyond me. And it's really because that we don't work to win over a certain group. And that certain group is not the moderates, is not the middle of the road, is not the wishy-washy center types. It's the base. It's the conservatives. It's the uh, the Tea Partiers. It's the MAGA group. And if you win them over and show that you're an ideologue on that side, you're going to win. And you could get the 50% threshold. So the runoff idea is an idea, but it only, I think, divides people more and angers more who are able to get on the ballot as opposed to working harder to win them over in the first place to where you don't need a runoff and you can win with a 50% threshold in the first place. And you can do it, Republican Party, because obviously we have a lot of legislators that are Republican, but you need to appeal and pander to the right group of them. Stop going further to the wishy-washy center. Go further to the right. Win them over. And guess what? We'll be able to lock in a Republican governor the next election. It's not that hard. Lots more coming up here on Candace Talk. Stay here. Welcome back into Candace Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker KQM. Good Saturday morning to you. Moving right along through the morning here. we got a lot to talk about today, obviously. There's a major legislative session going on. We'll continue to talk about those issues. There's a lot. Obviously, we just talked about two of the bills. We have more of them. Oh, yeah. By the way, too, a transgender individual has officially been transferred to a female prison in the state of Kansas. Did you know that? Did you know that? A lot of people didn't, and it didn't get covered in the media a whole lot. That's at the women's prison in Topeka, where the transgender Kansas inmate moved from the men's prison to the women's prison. (laughs) Yeah, we'll get to that here in just a little bit and talk some more about that. But I want to shift gears a little bit away from our legislative session and get right to our next guest here, as I'm really excited, as you know. We used to have him on the program quite a bit when he was congressman here in the 4th Congressional District, whenever big issues were going on in Washington, D.C., and we had him on a few times while he was Secretary of State as well. Didn't get him on the CIA director. However, I understand, because he'd probably have to kill me if he told me anything of what was going on within the CIA. But nonetheless, he's out now. He has his new book, and we had to sit down with him just a day after the book was released last week. If you don't know who it is, then you're in for a treat. He's former congressman, former director of the CIA, former Secretary of State, Mr. Mike Pompeo. And this is what he had to say right here on the program. Secretary, how are you, my friend? I'm so good, and it's great to be back with you. Thanks for having me on today. Oh, it's so good to chat with you. It's been so long since we've chatted. i got to tell you, between your book, What's Going on in Washington, D.C., we're starting off 2023 with kind of a bang, aren't we? <laughs> quite a year so far, and it has been quite a two years, too, watching President Biden undo. Oh, a significant man. piece of the good work we did for the American people. So, yes, lots to chat about. Yeah, there's definitely lots to talk about. I mean, the Biden administration, first off the bat, as soon as they got in there, so many executive orders that reversed the Trump policies. I know you talk about a lot of this in your book, but talk about some of the stuff you worked on specifically. You worked with the Trump administration, obviously, with the CIA and with the Secretary of State's office. And where we're at today and kind of the differences, because we're starting to see quite a bit of a difference between the two admins. Well, I'll give you the first one, maybe the most significant. Uh, when I was Secretary of State, and I write about this in Never Give an Inch, when I was Secretary of State, 
I went to Mexico, made the case to the Mexican government uh, that they weren't going to send caravans up through our border. And we turned the magnet off. We, we figured out how to control our southern border and to protect American sovereignty and the American people. And within, goodness, a couple of hours of President Biden being in office, they ripped the Band-Aid off what had become known as Remain in Mexico. Uh, when they did that, you can see the result. Uh, sub 4 million people over the last 24 months coming across our border illegally. Uh, wait, 3, 3 million plus people in Kansas, 4 million illegal immigrants in 24 months. Really quite stunning after we had that resolved. And, you know, the other one is the Middle East. Uh, the Obama administration had cuddled up to the Iranians, the world's largest state sponsor of terror. Yeah. And we flipped the script there. Uh, we built out peace agreements between Israel and four nations. We defended our friend and ally in the nation of Israel. And we made the risk that some kid from Kansas who signs up to be a Marine or a sailor or a soldier uh, will ever have to go risk their lives in the Middle East. That that was fundamentally better, decent for America, and I'm really proud of what we did. Yeah, amen to that. Regarding the immigration issue, isn't it sad that we have all these quote-unquote immigration laws at the federal level to not allow just people to waltz across the border and make sure that we're secure and safe? And yet it all hinges, it seems like, over the last year or so, the debate on Title 42 regarding COVID-19 vaccinations and the spread of an illness. That's what's holding off this, the mass flood of individuals at the border outside of all the laws that we already have on the books. I find that quite fascinating. It is fascinating that the uh, Biden administration has seized on this Title 42 thing. It is illegal immigration. It is called that for a reason. It was illegal long before COVID was ever known about. And so uh, to, to turn to that as sort of your policy tool, or as Vice President Harris says, um, we want to go send a bunch of money to Central America to solve, quote, the root problem, uh, the root causes, end of quote. Uh, that's, just, that's just fundamentally not speaking the truth to the American people. We, we know how to secure our southern border. We did it for the last two, two and a half years of the Trump administration. We can get back to it again. We simply need to return to the set of policies that I worked on and that President Trump delivered for the American people. Well, yeah, and it seems like it's gotten bipartisan support. I mean, obviously, we had Myra Flores become a congresswoman for a short stint down on the border as the first Mexican-born naturalized woman to be a congresswoman in the United States. We have Hispanics all over the country that want the border sealed because they're tired of the cartels coming up here and causing issues as well. It's a common-sense issue, but yet I don't think Democrats quite grasp it if they even show up to the border in the first place. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Uh, You hear from... Uh, Mexican uh, Americans all the time. They don't want this Ill- Ill- illegal immigration either. Frankly, it hurts the least amongst us the most. Yeah. Uh, this administration simply refuses to do any basic enforcement responsibility. It is, in fact, their uh, duty to get it right. You, you, you nailed it. Um, they are not even trying. So this, this now borders on intentional, and it is really dangerous. Not just the people who are coming across, uh, but what they're bringing, whether that's fentanyl or human trafficking or in a handful of cases we've seen people on the terror watch list get into our country. Uh, we, we know how to fix this problem. We simply need to get back to what we know works. Yeah, amen to that. Let's go abroad for a second. You had mentioned the Middle East. What's the biggest threat in your opinion right now? Is it Iran? Is it the Middle East, the tearing up of the Iranian deals that you guys had worked on under the Trump administration? Or is it the ongoing conflict with Russia and the Ukraine right now, with Russia threatening nuclear weapons, with holding hostage half the energy and the oil production that they have? What's the threat to the United States right now, do you think? So those are all serious, and in Never Give an Inch uh, that came out yesterday, um, I talk about how we dealt with each of those. It's, uh, it's remarkable how much we've fallen back in just 24 months. Um, but I would rank as threats from outside uh, the greatest by far as the Chinese Communist Party. 
and it's something I worked on personally. Uh, I spend a good part of the book telling some great stories, some fun stories, but some serious stuff about the fact that the Chinese Communist Party is inside the gate. This is not just about Beijing or Shanghai or Xinjiang. This is about Houston, Texas, where they were running the largest spying operation ever in the history of the United States. This is about Wichita State University or the University of Kansas or K-State, where the Chinese Communist Party has enormous influence by having so many of their students there and so much of our research money is dependent on China. This, this isn't a problem that is far away. It's a problem that affects every American every day. The Chinese Communist Party and he wants to change the way America lives. We simply can't let that happen. No, amen to that. We have legislation working down in the state of Oklahoma right now regarding the uh, Chinese government in owning farming land. I know that's a major, major issue that the Department of Agriculture is also working on. Is that a threat that we need to be concerned about right now as well, do you think? Every place that China can get inside of our country and manipulate and propagandize presents risk. So, yes, not only are they buying farmland, uh, which impacts food and security, but you should note the places they're trying to buy that land are often near American national security facilities. Think places like Fort Riley or uh, Fort Benning or uh, Fort Hood, Texas. Uh, imagine just for a second, by the way, this is how foolish this is. Imagine for a second that, Andy, that you or someone on your listening to your show said, I'm going to go buy some land in China near a Chinese military facility. <laughs> right, right? It's, no, you laugh because it's, it's ludicrous that they wouldn't permit it to happen. And yet the United States, we've turned the other cheek. We've allowed the Chinese communists uh, to run us over. They've destroyed hundreds of thousands of American jobs, uh, good aerospace manufacturing jobs, good agriculture jobs. We can't let that keep happening. We, we know how to fix these things. Uh, I worked on that in the Trump administration. There's an awful lot left to do. It's going to take a conservative president six, eight years to go get that completely right and keep us safe and secure and prosperous here at home. Yeah, it's a work in progress. We're talking with former Secretary of State uh, Mike Pompeo, also author of the book, The Never Give an Inch of Fighting for the America I Love. Uh, Mr. Secretary, I have to ask you, obviously, with it being in the news lately, how many classified documents do you have in your uh, garage next to your Corvette? <laughs> well, I think it's zero, and I can assure you I don't have a Corvette. <laughs> there is that. Uh, this is madness. We've never seen this before. We had the Obama administration that had massive amounts of documents come home with them. Obviously, Joe Biden, as vice president, had massive amounts of documents come home with him, many of them classified. When did this become an issue all of a sudden when the Trump administration was working with the National Archives on what was okay, what was not okay, put additional security measures on the documents he had, and then still get a raid from the FBI to come in and take everything and talk about how evil he is for taking these documents home? Oh, goodness. Well, I have a couple thoughts. Um, I dealt with tens, maybe hundreds of thousands of classified documents when I served on the Benghazi Committee, when I served on the House Intelligence Committee, and then as CIA Director and Secretary of State. So I know this issue. Um, I had a secure facility in my home. There were secure documents or classified documents in that secured facility in a safe inside that secure room. I don't know how these documents got to these places. We need to get to the bottom of that. By the way, we should do it in a way that is not political whether they got there uh, from Vice President Pence or President Biden or President Trump or whomever. We all have, those of us dealing with classified information, have responsibility to protect this information. And so there's still a lot to know. Last thought, we need to make sure that they don't just raid and conduct searches against one party. Yeah. That, that's just indecent. It's political. It's, it's weaponizing our intelligence and collection agencies. Um, having led the Central Intelligence Agency, I never permitted that to happen. I was doing America's work, not the Republican Party's work, but the American people's work. 
the Justice Department needs to behave that way, and the FBI needs to behave that way every day and always. Amen to that. I mean, I know you cleaned up a lot of the Central Intelligence Agency and worked a lot on that because it is between you guys and the FBI. I mean, it was the law enforcement agencies at the federal level. When did we start seeing them get turned around against us to be militarized against the American people in this way? Yeah. You know, my my observation at CIA when I came in was my predecessor was a fellow named John Brennan, and he had deeply politicized the CIA. He he didn't have them spying. He he just he had them he had them engaged in diversity, equity, and inclusion training, and uh, he, he wasn't rewarding people who were actually out helping us defeat our adversaries. Mm. And then Director Comey at the FBI, well, we, we know. Uh, we know he was out telling wolf tales about this steel dossier. Um, I suffered a Secretary of State under the Russia hoax. Uh, we, we need those institutions. I, I know a lot of folks who are young FBI officers doing narcotics work and undercover work. Now, these are great young people, men and women. Um, we need to support them. They need to return to their traditional law enforcement function, and we need to take the politics out of how we enforce America's laws. It's that simple. Yeah, amen to that. Let's bring it to the domestic front here in Washington, D.C. Obviously, with your book, Never Give an Inch, uh, as you mentioned, we need a conservative president to unravel some of the Biden administration and what they've done already just in their first term and going into the second one here as well. But now that we have the Republicans' control of the House of Representatives, it was a hard battle, especially with the Speaker of the House vote was Kevin McCarthy, which I found absolutely fascinating and I absolutely loved it. But do you think they can do enough to slow the Democrat agenda from the Senate and the presidency with only having control of the House of Representatives right now? Oh, goodness. No, they can't do enough that will satisfy you or me. But they can do a lot. Uh, they can uh, classify documents as a good example. They begin investigating that. Uh, the issue of how it's the case that we had former intelligence officials uh, suppress Hunter Biden's laptop by saying this was Russian disinformation when they most assuredly knew. It was not Russian disinformation. Uh, there's lots of things that they can go uncover. They can share that with the American people. And then, goodness, what are we now? Uh, you know, 20 months away, 21 months away from a big election in November where yeah. I hope we can win governor's races and the United States Senate and the White House back from these folks who are undermining the traditional Judeo-Christian values of our country. I agree. Well, my concern is with Republicans owning just the House of Representatives. The big concern, especially with Kevin McCarthy, is like your book, Never Give an Inch, is will Republicans be able to compromise and work or will they stick to their ground? I mean, we have a debt ceiling. We're three weeks into the month of January, Mr. Secretary, and we're already out of money for this fiscal year until the end of September. And we could see a potential government shutdown by the summertime. I don't know where the Republicans can hold their ground long enough. So they need to stick to their guns. Uh, it's tough. Um, I, I was there a couple times when you had a Democrat president uh, that not only had the power that came with that, but the power of the mainstream media as well. I mean, but I, I pray that the things that they told their constituents they would do when they ran for office in the House of Representatives, I hope they'll stick to them. I hope they'll defend them. If they do, they will be rewarded for that. Yes. And more important, more important than what happens to them, America will be rewarded for their behavior. I'm counting on them. I saw a great statement from... Speaker McCarthy this morning, uh, where he told Swalwell and Schiff, two congressmen from California, they could be on the Intelligence Committee. It was strong. He was right. I hope we continue to see that kind of leadership from him and from the Republicans in Congress. 
I could be hopeful. I love it. It's Secretary Mike Pompeo, former Secretary of State for the state, uh, for the United States, also former CIA director and author of the book, Never Give an Inch, Fighting for the America I Love. The last question for you, and it's a question that everybody always asks you, but I have to ask you myself. You mentioned we need a strong conservative uh, president in 2024. Donald Trump's announced. It's rumored that Ron DeSantis is going to announce as well. You are probably the smartest guy in there if you did throw your hat in the ring. Is that still a possibility for you? Oh, I, I don't know about being the smartest guy, uh, but I, I'll say this: Susan, uh, those those our friends in Kansas all know. Susan and I are praying, we're thinking, we're trying to figure this out. If we ultimately conclude that we have something that is unique and special that we can offer the American people, we will get in the race. We'll go make our case in Iowa, and New Hampshire, and South Carolina, and all across the country, and then we'll let the American people sort it out. Uh, we we don't know precisely what we're going to do yet, Andy, but we do know that. You know, from the days we taught fifth grade Sunday school there in Wichita, Kansas, to uh, today, we care deeply about this country, and we we're, we're going to stay in that fight. I don't know if it'll be an elected office again, but we care deeply about these things. So America's been so good to us, so much opportunity. We want that for the next generation, too. Hey, living the American dream. I bet it is kind of nice being out of public office right now and fighting from the sidelines and kind of gearing up for the next move, though, isn't it? Without all the restraints of government telling you what you can and can't do. <laughs> It's it's been it's been nice to be out of the the center of the maelstrom for a couple of months, but it's also been difficult to watch this administration undo so much of what we know was good for the American people. Mm, that is true, Mr. Secretary. It's such an honor to talk to you again, my friend. You've been a great friend of the show when you were a congressman all the way back here in Kansas. We love talking to you so many times. Good luck with the ventures. Good luck with the book. We got to get you back on and chat again real soon. Thank you, sir. We'll do that. Bless you. Have a good day. Truth unfiltered. Broadcasting live from West Wichita in the KQAM studios. It's time for your weekend kickstart with Wichita's number one conservative talk radio host. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Darn right it is. Welcome back into Candace Talk. It's hour number two of Candace Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM. Darn right it is. Wichita's number one conservative talk radio show. That's the way we roll, and we always do that. I mean, we couldn't do it without you, so thank you for tuning in every Saturday morning. Kind of kickstart your weekend, getting you up and moving for another day. It's chilly, although it's starting to warm out again, I guess. It's February. I dig it been kind of an odd week for sure welcome back into the program uh if you missed it we had our mike pompeo interview in the last hour this hour another big one as well bottom of this hour we're going to go south of the border into the great state of oklahoma as we talk with u.s senator james langford now here's the thing james langford is awesome on the intelligence committees and we appreciate what he does on the intelligence committee in the u.s senate obviously doing a lot of investigations hopefully on the biden family hint hint wink wink hopefully on hunter biden Maybe on this Chinese balloon that's floating over the U.S. right now. We'll see. Uh, but because he's on the Intelligence Committee, also means that he gets some uh, really cool secret information as well. We ask him about some of that on the program. Maybe even about, oh, I don't know, the uh, information of UFOs and aliens. Now, the, only, <laughs> the only reason why we ask him that is because if you don't know, according to the Omnibus package that was passed back in December, it mandates that these agencies give information to the intelligence committees in the House and the Senate on their investigations and research regarding the unidentified aerial phenomenon, the UAPs, formerly known as UFOs. 
So, yes, we ask him about that, and you can hear his response here in just a little bit. But I want to shift gears a little bit as we get back into our legislative session right here in Kansas for 2023. As we talked about in the last hour, a new bill has been presented in the state that would uh, simplify the tax code for individual tax receipts and uh, incomes here. Getting rid of the three-stage, uh, the, the, the three-tiered tax bracket, going to a simplified 5% tax bracket across the board, Writing off the first $15,000 of your income so those low-income individuals uh, coincidentally would not have to pay anything just like they are right now. Wouldn't change anything there, but we sat down with Alan Cobb, president and CEO of the Kansas Chamber of Commerce, who sponsored the bill and is working with Republicans to try and get this up and going, and this is what he had to say. Alan, Happy New Year to you, brother. How you doing? Good. How are you, Andy? Happy New Year to you. Yeah, always good to chat with you. Uh, boy, you guys have really hit the ground running, beginning a session for 2023, which before we get into the issues, I have to give you guys a plug, and I know you've been promoting this, but your app that you have, the Candis Chamber app that you can download on your phone, is awesome for ongoing legislation for any of your delegation that you want to look at, any of the Candace leadership. I mean, you guys got it all right there on the app for uh, anybody to follow along with what's going on. Uh, well, thank you very much. It, it took us a while to get exactly what we wanted, but we finally got it. Yeah, it's really cool. I love it. Uh, the news that came out a couple weeks ago, which uh, is big, I love the idea. I know it's been getting backlash from the other side of the aisle, but you guys right out of the gate as we talk about budgets, we talk about taxes, we talk about the surplus of funds at the statewide level. The big news, obviously, is the big 5% quote-unquote flat tax or similar to a flat tax here in the state with the first $15,000 not being taxed. Has this been in the works for a while? And talk about where the bill's at right now. Well, the bill just got introduced, and there's a, a pretty hefty fiscal note on it. Um, it's really started of a conversation. You've got a lot. Of, it's really probably more accurately described as a single rate tax, where because we still have uh, several exemptions and, and credits, et cetera. So it's dropping it down to, to 5%, which is still higher than, let's say, Colorado, which is certainly not a, a red state. But it is going to make things simpler. you got one rate, and uh, it's going to be – exempting all taxpayers first fifteen thousand dollars meaning you got it is going to be a benefit to lower lower income uh folks in addition to all levels uh we're de- depends on which state you want to compare but at best we're in the middle of the road on an individual uh tax we're certainly high on the income tax and high on the corporate income tax and so looking at at both of those those uh taxes to lower them to be more competitive i mean Folks are moving to lower tax states, and they have done that for a while, but they continue to do that, and they're not all in the South. Um, South Dakota, which has – we have mild – we're the Sun Belt compared to South Dakota. Um, they're gaining a population. They're a no-income tax state. Montana and Idaho, yes, they have mountains, but also the climate's not the best, so it's not just Florida and South Carolina that folks are, are moving to in Texas. Wow. Uh, I love the argument from the other side saying that this would raise taxes for individuals because, well, you know, some that aren't paying any right now, they're not they're going to be paying a five percent. And how this is uh, obviously giving the tax break to the evil rich people in the state of Kansas. But the way the tax brackets are set up right now by not taxing the first fifteen thousand dollars, they would actually be getting a break, too. If I and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think that the tax rate it, between like what, like twenty five hundred to fifteen thousand dollars is already at a two to three percent tax rate. So they would actually get a break as well. Correct. And I didn't say, well, the, the, 
the majority of the benefit goes to the higher taxpayer. Well, the majority of Kansas taxes are paid by higher taxes. So it's, there's really nothing you could do about that as far as the math, unless you want to exempt the first, I don't know, $30,000 $30, from everybody. Because you can't really exempt uh, different amounts for, for different income levels. It's got to just, the way the law works, it's got to be universal. So we thought that uh, makes it a little, uh, as even as we can get it. So yeah. Um, that's, uh, but you're, you're correct. So it, it's, it's fascinating. And then of course the other brackets were, we're sitting at what five and a quarter and five, seven, five, or wherever we're at uh, five, seven, that, five, uh, seven. Yeah. So yeah. that would flatten things out there easily. Uh, imagine if you would, and I know this is kind of a pipe dream here, but we, we have a bill at the federal level being presented for a fair tax, trying to get rid of federal income tax and doing what a 30% consumption tax, which isn't going to pass out of the house of representatives, but it's at least a conversation we could have. If we implemented that at the federal level and then this tax uh, plan at the statewide level, man, we could really get the state cranking with uh, limiting the amount of taxes that we have to pay and the amount of audits that we'd see across the, across the nation. Now, that's a good point on the audits. I, I don't think a 30, 30% national sales tax has any pants, uh, chance of passing. And I, I'm probably pretty mixed on on uh, that as a policy. It's like until we get rid of income tax, because what will, what I'm afraid of has happened is we're going to keep our federal income tax. That doesn't go away. And we're going to add the 30% um, as the, the national sales tax. So I'm, I'm a little skeptical. Let me put it that way. That is a good point. Yeah, we don't need a 30% tax on top of our federal income tax. That'd be an absolute disaster. Right now in the state, we're talking about the budget. Obviously, we have a surplus in the budget. We're trying to decide where the money is going to go. The governor has presented her budget proposal after her State of the State speech, which, uh, Alan, i got to ask, I mean, she says she's the fiscally conservative governor wanting to walk in the middle of the road. Does her budget present that in any way, shape, or form when it comes to being fiscally conservative in the state? No, I would not. I'd say it's not, but it's not. I mean, you do have super majorities of Republicans that have been passing large budgets. I mean, I, you know, we're at, what a ten billion dollar all funds, and it wasn't that long ago we were at six billion. Now, some of that has to do with with federal money coming in through COVID, so called COVID relief. Some of it gets counted in general funds. Some of it, some of it gets counted in different ways. Um, that that when you talk about tax cuts, you have to talk about the spending. Side, you have to look at both both levels. And Kansas has always struggled with the size of our budget. We spend more per capita than other similar states. And so the question is, okay, what is South Dakota? What are Texas doing that they have good functioning governments that are aren't spending as much per person as as we are? And I have, you know, that's why I like I like comparing South Dakota and Texas because you got a small state and a huge state. So it can't be just economies of scale for. For Texas, when South Dakota, I think, has about a million people, and we're about three million sure. in Kansas. So there's certainly there's certainly ways to, uh, to do it, and but you got it. You can't you can't ignore the spending side. Yeah, that is very true. We're chatting with Alan Cobb, President uh, CEO of the Kansas Chamber of Commerce, as we talk about some of the expansion of government money, especially coming in from the COVID nineteen relief funding. In your opinion, have we done well using it responsibly and not expanding the size of government for when that money runs out? Then we have to find compensation in order to keep a new program going. Or do you think that we've spent it frivolously with just the massive amount that's come in? Well, one of the challenges is trying to get a full accounting of it because money has gone to local governments like uh, Central County and City of Wichita and the state government. The conversations I've had with folks, I think there is, was a fairly consistent a desire to do one-time things so that you're not 
building to what you say a program that has to be funded. Now, some of that goes into infrastructure, but infrastructure is not one time because it has to be maintained, but that's still better than, than a, a program. And I think we've done, done okay. I think there's other states that have done, done worse, particularly blue states. Um, it could be, it could be better, but I'll, I'll give most of the folks uh, a lot of credit for being very conscious about, okay, we cannot start adding programs that when this money goes away, we're not going to have money to pay for. Good, good. That's been the big concern, I think, for a lot of individuals. A lot of Republicans with the surplus that we have right now want to set at least a billion dollars away for a rainy day fund before we move further. And I, I'm assuming that's probably going to happen. Would that help? I mean, we're going into a potential recession for 2023 and 24, according to the, Nas- uh, the national economic experts, that things are going to start declining. Is that going to be enough and we'll be in OK shape, do you think, moving forward? I think, uh, yes, I think putting more money into the rainy day fund makes a lot of sense. Is a billion dollars the right amount? I, I don't know. <clears throat> but when there is a recession, state revenues drop. And you know, the programs, education still has to be funded. Roads still have to be funded. So uh, can't, I'm glad that I, I think I can't recall, but it's in relatively recently that Kansas created that. And that's that's a fiscally responsible thing to do. But but it, the restrictions have to be tight enough that oh, we can't just dip into it when we want to. It has to truly be a rainy day fund, yeah. like your like the the Dave Ramsey emergency fund. If you happen to lose your job, it has to be that kind of mentality and. Um, and I, I think that's there, but I'm going to have to take a, another look at, at the rules and regulations and statutes on when can the state dip into it. But it, it needs to be a recession yeah. and when revenues drop or significantly decrease sure. or the increases. Yeah, instead of we're, we're used to getting five, we get one. Sometimes that's not a problem, but it's. It can't. It can't just be a, a piggy bank, so to speak. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I know the governor's been touting her plan to try and get rid of the uh, sales tax on food. And first, she did the, the tiered plan where we dropped down two and a half percent at the beginning of this year on January one. Now she wants to remove it immediately, which is great. She's finally on board with it because Republicans have been trying to do this for a long time, even when she was in the state senate and voted against it multiple times. There. Uh, do you think that's going to happen this year? Just removing the sales tax on food. Uh, complete, along with apparently other issues as well. But will that go away by this year, do you think? I would guess not. And I actually, you know, at the risk of being too contrarian, I, eliminating the sales tax on food is not great policy. We ought to be lowering it on everything. Mm. And Kansas has the ninth highest uh, state and local tax rate. So the more you start exempting things from the sales tax, it makes it h- harder to lower the overall rate. And, and I know it's touted a lot for lower income folks, but lower income folks also have to purchase vehicles. And, you know, a 10%, there's plenty of places in the state that have a 10% sales tax. You buy, you know, a $10,000 vehicle is not some awesome luxury vehicle. And then, oh, by the way, here's your $1,000 tax bill. So, um, I, but the the cow's out of the barn on it. We, we are going to get it eliminated. I think we need to stair step it in. Um, in order to to be able to to handle some of the income taxes that uh, income tax reductions that we're looking at too. Sure. Yeah, I, I know that's the big concern is of course the loss of revenue coming into the state, which goes into the other issue of I don't know whether it's going to happen in this session or not. The discussion of marijuana, medical marijuana. I, we're not even close to recreational marijuana in the state, but uh, with that issue coming up, would that be a substitute for a revenue stream in the in the state? Do you think? Uh, I think it happened in other states, so I, I'm certainly not not an expert on that. 
And I, I think that there's, uh, it's kind of a mixed bag politically, I think. I know Kansas is one of the few states that doesn't have it, but I think there's some folks in, in, in very important positions that are very hesitant about it. And I, I don't know that it should be some huge priority sure. uh, by any means. And there's plenty of good reasons not to legalize it, um, but obviously there's a lot of uh, popularity with it. But yeah, that, that certainly could be a part of it is is taxing it in the revenue stream. But then I'll go back to is, okay, if you tax that, then let's lower something else. Let's not just add to the budget. Exactly. Well, and we don't want to do like, I know we have kind of a sin tax here as well, or at least we used to have a sin tax on certain issues. I'm sure that that would be included in that to have a higher tax rate, which in my concern is like Colorado, when you tax it at a 300% tax rate, then uh, you have a increased black market for something that you don't want in there in the first place. We're talking with Alan Cobb, president of the Kansas Chamber of Commerce, last couple of minutes here, and I appreciate your time. I want to shift gears from taxes and the budget for a second and talk about business. Obviously, you guys talk about and work with businesses all over the state of Kansas. Is there a concern in the business industry right now about a potential recession and the economy slowing down when we finally just started getting things back on track after the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, if you talk to businesses, you might get a different answer than economists, businesses remain optimistic and just the data about the things about hiring and uh, capital spending, you wouldn't think there's a recession looming, but there's a lot of smart people who think there is. Businesses uh, tend to, to be optimistic, business people tend to be optimistic that if, there, if there's an overall recession, but that is one thing, but will that impact their particular business where you're making airplanes or computer chips, and so it's it depends on the in the businesses that you that you talk to. Service industry, retail, they always get hit by a recession, and uh, that it depends on the business sector. But no, overall, really, not much of a discussion about it. It seems to be most to be being driven by uh, some economists who, again, they they're not. I don't think these are pessimistic folks. It's just whatever they see, they think it it could be looming. But you bring up a good point. Yeah. GDP still, I, I think GDP is going to slow down. I'm not sure I see a recession, which is a reduction in the GDP. But sure. um, we had pretty robust uh, Q4 last year. And I just think that it may not, we probably will keep at that same rate. But I, I, We'll see. I, there doesn't seem to be a lot of fear, let me put it that way, to, to be a short answer to your question. That is good news. That is good news because it sounds like we've done well diversifying the economy in the state with different types of businesses. I know here in the Wichita area, we've had new technology. We've had cybersecurity come into the area. Obviously, the expansion of even aviation with NASA and with SpaceX wanting to come in and work more with us. But then we also hear about the building of uh, uh, electric batteries for vehicles in the state and working on uh, uh, hydrogen cars or something, a building of the of those sorts of things as well, plus whatever's going on in the city in the Kansas City area, it sounds like we're diversifying and kind of getting up to date with some of the 21st century technology here. Uh, we are in Kansas, uh, despite maybe some reputations of being, oh well, it's aviation, ag, and oil and gas. Yes, that's true, but we're 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 less reliant on a couple of industries than than many states. Uh, fairly diverse manufacturing base. The financial services uh, tends to be growing, and that's everything from just a, a retail bank to uh, more sophisticated financial services. And the tech part of our economy is is growing, and, and you certainly see it there in Wichita with with uh, Integra and Integra's potential growth. So uh, we, we've always been we've been more diverse than I think folks uh, think, and it just some of these these things just get into the public mindset that don't go away. Well, it's all oil and gas, uh, ag and aviation. Now we're a lot, a lot, those are very important, but we're a lot more than that. Kind of like on the tax thing really drives me crazy. And folks, oh, Kansas has always been the three-legged stool of income, sales and property. 
that's simply not true because 98% of the property tax is local government. And so Kansas is really, well, a three-legged stool of the state of Kansas, sales tax, income tax, and then the third-legged stool is like everything else, meaning uh, the fees and sin taxes, et cetera. So this myth of the sales property income for the state is just that, a myth. Interesting. Uh, well, we got a long ways to go, but it seems like we're at least moving in the right direction. And hopefully, last question for you as we kind of let you go here, but uh, I know the governor said during her State of the State speech and uh, with uh, some of the comments that she's made on the trail is that she wants to work across the aisle and be the middle of the road and find middle ground between everybody. I think she's forced to because of a supermajority with Republicans in the legislature. But have you seen that type of action from her so far in this session? Uh, probably too early to tell, but I hear track record is okay on that front. She signed some bills that folks were surprised uh, at. I think she supported other bills that, because of her support, probably got more Democrats to vote. So it's her track record is not terrible on that. And that sounds like I'm damning with faint, faint praise, but yeah, I've certainly have certainly seen from it. And look, yes, talk is cheap, but at least that's that's a pretty good. A pretty good starting point, and I and to your point, she does have super majorities. I think her inclination on most things is try to find it, and then there's just going to be some key issues that uh, that she just there is there may not be a middle road in in her view. But it, it's uh, I'm so optimistic on that, and, there, and again, her track record is is okay on that in the last four years. Sure. I love it. It's Alan Kahn, president of the Kansas Chamber of Commerce. I love what you guys are doing. Keep up the fight, my friend. It sounds like we're moving in the right direction, and I'd love to, hopefully, I'm optimistic about this bill coming through, this tax bill with the 5%. I think that would be vastly beneficial to the state of Kansas. So, Alan, we appreciate the time, as always, my friend. Keep up the fight. Let's chat again here real soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Andy. Take care. There he is. That again was Alan Cobb, Kansas uh, president and CEO of the Kansas Chamber of Commerce. Very interesting information. We'll continue to get more from him later. Lots more back after this here on Kansas Talk on KQAM. Welcome back into Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker, 1480 AM, 99.7 HD4. That's a mouth word to say, but you can hear it on FM as well. KQAM, thanks for hanging out with us today. Always great to chat with Alan Cobb, Kansas Chamber of Commerce. Great information from him. We'll get him back on uh, towards the end of the session. We'll see how that bill goes. I don't know that it's going to go through. i got to be honest. There is a major media push from the Democrats not liking it because how dare you cut taxes from the rich people. Obviously, they like the taxes from the corporations and the rich people. That's why we're seeing record tax collections coming for the first uh, month of the state of Kansas and, uh, for 2023. $1.05 billion in tax revenues for that first month. They like their government money. We'll do some more of that when we come back. Wrapping up the last half hour of the program right here on Kansas Talk. Stay here. Welcome back into Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. On the home stretch, last half hour of the program, the weekend with Michael Brown right around the corner coming up at 11 o'clock. Also, just a word of programming notes for you. As we are in college basketball season, we don't do this very often, but you will be able to hear a basketball game later on this evening right here on KQAM. At tip to Westwood One for that broadcast as that will be at 515 this evening. 
Tip off at 5.30, pregame at 5.15. You can hear that on KQAM. If you want to hear some other games, your Oklahoma Sooners will be on our sports station, 1410 AM, 93.9 FM, KGSO. That one, I believe, is 6 p.m. tonight. Another basketball game starting at 2 o'clock in the afternoon over there as well. So you have college basketball loaded up for you, depending on what you like. We will be doing, it's not out yet, obviously, because we're nowhere near that time yet. But just as a word of wisdom to you, we will be having our uh, March Madness Bracket Tournament again for KQAM and KGSO. Not sure what the prizes are on those yet, but be prepared because those will be out when that time comes. And, of course, yours truly, we dominate that March Madness Bracket. Why? Because I choose it based on the color of the jerseys, obviously. (laughs) Not by talent, but by the color of the jerseys. The most important thing that you could judge that your college basketball team on. And, hey, there's been crazier people that have been able to win those things, so don't count me out. There it is. All right, let's shift gears a little bit. I want to go south of the border just a little bit down to Oklahoma as we have him on the program every once in a while to get an update from Washington, D.C. and what's going on in the state as he is a committee member for the Intelligence Committee for the U.S. Senate. Also, the debt ceiling conversation that's going on, some issues with the illegal immigrants coming across the border. Title 42 is at stake right now, and the ongoing battle against fentanyl that's coming up through Oklahoma and here in Kansas. So really happy to have back on the program with us. We sat down with him just a couple days ago, the senator from the state of Oklahoma, U.S. Senator James Lankford. Senator, how are you, my friend? I'm doing very well, actually. Doing very well, thank you. Good. It's always good to chat with you. You're actually coming out uh, right out of the gate this morning from the National Prayer Breakfast. How'd that go this morning? Uh, That actually went very well, actually. So uh, once a year, uh, House, Senate, the President, and the Vice President all get together for a prayer time. This happened for the last 71 years, uh, actually, and it's a uh, gathering time. It's just a good reset moment. Quite frankly, a lot of nations don't do this, but I think we do have a, a tremendous impact uh, from just gathering together to be able to pray together and be encouraged. And uh, it was a it was a really sweet time, both worship, uh, but also a good time of refreshing to say, hey, you know, Jesus was serious when he said, pray for those who persecute you and uh, lo- love your neighbor as yourself. And how can we be reconciled? Those are biblical principles. And though we have strong disagreements, they can't get into personal attacks. Yeah. Well, good. It, at least it's one of those times, very f- few and far between in Washington, D.C. and across the nation. But it's one of those few times where maybe we can actually come together and find some common ground. You bet. Yeah. You bet. Well, hopefully we find common ground to say we need God's help. Hopefully <laughs> no one's arrogant enough to say I'm smarter than God. Oh, well, that's the hope. That's the hope for sure. Uh, so <laughs> good. I'm glad. There's a lot of stuff going on in D.C. Obviously, let's hit the big one uh, first. Let's spend the discussion over the last day or so. We've seen Kevin McCarthy and the president talk about the debt ceiling. Obviously, you coming from the Senate, a little bit more difficult with the Democrat majority still there. But you guys have been working on a bill with the uh, uh, the Government Shutdown Act of the Prevention of that because, I mean, we don't want the government to shut down. At the same time, I have to say I'm sure that a lot of people are frustrated. They do not want to see another debt ceiling raised without at least some substantial cuts in the government and getting things back under the control. Where's the conversation looks and stand right now in the U.S. Senate? So we've got several months to be able to work through this, but that doesn't mean we should delay it. We should we should be talking about it every day as we are right now. That's a good thing, and frankly, I I like the fact that we now have a national conversation about debt and deficit. We talk about this as an office year after year after year, and a lot of times no one else is talking about it. And it's very frustrating to me to think, okay, we all should be talking about this. We are. We're now all talking about it. That's a good thing. Uh, So that's step one. Step two is all this conversation to say, well, we should just raise the debt ceiling and not have any negotiation on it. Just raise it, not change anything. And I I don't think most of the American people 
would agree with that. But also, the, the reason we have a debt ceiling vote at all, no other country does this but us, is so that we would talk about debt and deficit when we get to this moment. So the reason we have this vote at all is to talk about it. Uh, so we are actually having that conversation, say, how do we change the, the – 10 years ago, we had $10 trillion in total debt. Now we have $31.5 trillion in total debt. We can see the acceleration that's occurring in debt right now. We can't just ignore that. So what I've been a proponent for all along is we've got to change the way we do budgeting. We've got to change the process on this. We can't fix it in a year. It's too massive. But we can't change the direction of what we're doing and pay more attention to this. So th- th- this, is, this is a structural change that I'm pushing for to say the status quo's got to go. We've got to focus on what are we doing to be able to change it. One of the proposals we have is preventing government shutdowns uh, because a lot of bad bills get voted on because leaders will say, hey, we've got to vote on this bill or we'll have a government shutdown, and everyone votes on a bad bill uh, because we don't have a government shutdown. That's a terrible idea. We should take that off the table, keep negotiating, and let's actually focus on the things that will turn things around without this looming threat hanging over everyone's head. Well, we have to. I mean, we're sitting right now, if we try to pay off the entire debt right now, it would consume one. 100% of the GDP going into every man, woman, and child's business and home and trying to take every penny they have. That's unsustainable, and that's so drastically different from just 20 years ago where we had to cap it with our debt at 40% of our GDP. So just in a 20-year span here between both Republican and Democrat administrations, we've gone far beyond that, and they just want to raise it without any question. What boggles me is that the Biden administration says it's a non-starting point to even think about cuts. And then the media blames Republicans for not willing to negotiate to raise the debt ceiling. I, I find that quite interesting. Yeah. Welcome to the national media. It's always the Republicans' fault no matter what it is. If the, if the president can step out and say something that most of the American people would think is irrational, ignore the national debt, just keep going. Most people are not in that spot. Uh, but he can say that and get away with it. Republicans can say, hey, we need to talk about this and debate it, and that's a crazy thing to do. It's not a crazy thing to be able to talk about debt and deficit and determine how we get out of it. Now, everybody can point fingers in the past, and you're right, over multiple Republican and Democrat administrations to say it's not addressed. Uh, you remember in 2011, uh, there was a big back and forth over the debt ceiling uh, that led to what was called the Budget Control Act. It literally lowered spending for two years in a row. That was a negotiation President Obama, Obama had uh, with a Republican House of Representatives to be able to negotiate how we actually lower our spending and change that trajectory. That happened in uh, 2011. I think what the Republican House is looking for is to say, let's sit down again and let's figure out how to be able to get this right. That didn't make a difference at that time, but it didn't solve the problem. Let's try to figure this out. Yeah, I know that it's unrealistic now because Democrats still do control the Senate right now and we have a Democrat presidency, but is there any opportunity to pass a bill that just says that, I mean, right now, we're looking at raising the debt ceiling up to, like I said, 130 140% of the GDP. Can we cap it at 100% and say no matter what, even if we don't have a full-on budget because we have an omnibus package, you're never allowed to spend more than 100% of the GDP because that already is absurd, but at least we have to do something. Yeah, we, we, we have to do something. Whether we could get that kind of proposal through a Democratic uh, Senate and Democratic White House, I'd be very skeptical. They don't seem to be as concerned about the debt. They'll say, yes, it's a problem. But the response is always, as long as we're making payments, we're doing fine. Uh, that sounds like you're on the spiral uh, to collapsing. That's, that's the famous uh, family that's got so much debt, they're now using credit cards to buy groceries. Yep. And they realize that I, I can't keep making just the minimum payments. You never get caught up on those credit cards.
cards if you're making minimum payments ever. And so we're at that point now as a country. We've got to get serious about what are we going to do on spending, how are we going to handle our revenue, and then what is it we're not going to do, and what are we going to make sure that we do even better and more efficiently. Wait a second, Senator. I, I only make $50,000. Why can't I have a half-million-dollar home? What's wrong with you? Is it keeping the American <laughs> dream away from me? Come on. Yeah, I get that. We we have as a nation uh, definitely the jumbo mortgage of debt. Yeah, exactly. Let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, the other big issue, obviously, has been immigration for a while. What's bothering me and drives me nuts is the fact that we have all these immigration laws on the books already. If we would just enforce them, we could clean up 80% of the problem going on at our southern borders right now. But it seems like everything's hanging on this Title 42 from the COVID pandemic in the in the Trump administration. And that's the big issue on whether we're going to repeal or keep on uh, Title 42. What's the latest going on with the southern border right now? Yeah, Title 42 was always intended to be temporary, always. Uh, it was just during the pandemic itself. The president has now announced uh, that he's going to stop the emergency actions on pandemic uh, by May the 11th. Great. You know, we should have been stopped a long time ago to be able to return us to a sense of normalcy on this. And so Title 42 goes away after May 11th because the pandemic emergency actions go away. But we still have a crisis at the border. Uh, so it, what, what's funny is to me, the Biden administration is saying, hey, we've taken some action and we reduced January uh, to 150,000-ish, somewhere through there for 250,000. And so they're saying it's a massive change on that. That is a decline. But by the way, January is almost always a decline. In fact, I don't know a month of January doesn't go down uh, during just the people illegally crossing the border. And 150,000 crossing the border in January is still higher than any single month during the Trump administration. Uh, so it's still out of control. We're in massive numbers there. Two things have got to happen. One, this administration has got to enforce the law, both deporting people that are illegally present in the country, especially those with criminal actions, or that the court has already stepped in and said they have a, what's called a final order of removal. You've got to go. Uh, those people are not being deported out of our country right now. And so people that get into the country know I'll never be deported. The second thing is this administration is going to enforce what's happening on our southern border and stop treating our border patrol like hotel check-in staff and actually allow them to be federal law enforcement, which is what they signed up for. That would make a huge difference. We also have to make some changes in our asylum law and to be able to clarify how that law should actually be implemented. Quite frankly, Canada did this 20 years ago, changed their asylum law, and it dramatically changed the direction of illegal immigration in Canada because they, their parliament actually took time to actually implement those things. Uh, we continue to be able to just debate it, and my Democratic colleagues don't want to make those changes, and it continues to accelerate a bad problem getting worse. If someone from anywhere in the world can just walk across the border and say, I want asylum, uh, we're the only country that does that. Uh, so that that's just a terrible idea. Literally, when I was in Yuma, Arizona three weeks ago on the border, there were more people that had crossed the border in that spot from Uzbekistan than there were from El Salvador. Wow. Uh, so we've got folks from all over the world that are illegally crossing this border, and if they can get across, they're in. And that's a problem. That is a problem. We're talking with U.S. Senator James Lankford from the state of Oklahoma. Uh, the Biden administration's response to it was go back to your home and then apply. And then pretty much if you apply from your home state, then we're just going to bring you over here as a refugee or as, a, as an immigrant anyways. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's a, what's your take on his latest proposal for the solution? So I actually sat down with leadership of Homeland Security and I said, I understand what you're trying to do to try to make an, uh, an open entry, but quite frankly, millions of people in Yemen, millions of people in Ukraine, millions of people in, in uh, East Africa and North Africa, millions of people in uh, India and in China could all qualify for what you're saying. You're, you're about to create just a flood of people from anywhere in the world. Asylum was never set up. 
to say it's a free pass into America if you just say asylum. Asylum and refugee status, asylum is supposed to go to the next safe country closest to your home, and so you can live there. That's what it's designed to do. You can't leave Uzbekistan and take eight flights to be able to come to the southern or pay the cartel to come across and come in, nor should you be able to just go online. That's a, a whole new system of, Ill, of legal migration that the administration is just trying to invent out of whole cloth. That would have to go through Congress uh, to be able to do that. Uh, they can't just make that declaration, we're going to change immigration law uh, in the country based on executive action. Uh, Congress has not decided that, uh, of either party has not decided that, nor would we. Uh, and so we're, we're pushing back on the administration to understand what you're trying to do, but what you're trying to do is actually open floodgates even more. Yeah, amen to that. Uh, it's an ongoing issue that hopefully we can start getting under control. We're still seeing massive amounts of fentanyl coming over the border right now, the human trafficking, gun right. trafficking, and with all the high prices of eggs, I've seen a 109% increase on uh, a contraband of chickens and eggs coming across both the northern and southern border. So we have that problem now. <laughs> chicken smuggling. Uh, that, 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 that's our new national issue is chicken smuggling. So yeah, yeah. The, Again, when you've got high inflation like we have under the Biden administration, you're going to have all kinds of people trying to sneak across the border one way or the other to be able to get uh, things that may be cheaper somewhere else. Uh, but the fentanyl is the single biggest issue that we have uh, come across that border. And the Border Patrol will tell you, as they've told me, that if they're handling all these people that are coming illegally across the border, that means they can't watch the border for illegal smuggling uh, that's happening. So literally while they're trying to do paperwork on a group of 50 people illegally crossing the border, two miles down the border, uh, people are coming across in camo, carrying backpacks, running through the bush to be able to get in, and they can't go stop them because they don't have personnel uh, to be able to do it. So it's a it's a really big issue, and the amount of illegal drugs coming to our country is directly tied uh, to the number of people illegally crossing. And it's not just every person illegally crossing has drugs. That's not true. But they're opening the gateway uh, for people to be able to illegally smuggle these drugs in based on the number of people coming across. Yeah, what a mess. We're talking with U.S. Senator James Langford last few minutes here. I know that you got to run, and I appreciate all your time, but uh, we got to talk about some of the committees as uh, they're being appointed on both chambers right now. You're back on to the Intelligence Committee, so congratulations there. That's a right. huge one with a lot of investigations. Uh, from your mindset and what you're seeing, what's the priorities, and what are you guys going to be working on first in that committee? Obviously, there's a lot of issues that we got that are global issues, dealing with China, dealing with Iran, dealing with all that's happening in Europe, dealing with uh, a lot of the technology and how China especially is trying to be able to use technology to be able to steal data and intellectual property from people. Uh, so those are all critical issues that are out there. But we do have some very practical, serious questions, even about uh, what's happening with the documents. Uh, the uh, Intelligence Committee will be the prime committee to be able to focus in on it seems like everybody's house and the executive branch seems to be showing up with classified documents. Yeah. So we need to ask how documents are being handled, what documents are out there. We've been very clear already uh, with the administration to say uh, you can have one part of the administration has access uh, to these documents uh, that came out of President Trump's house, President Biden's multiple places that he seems to have documents stored everywhere. Uh, Vice President Pence now has discovered documents there. We want to be able to see what are those documents. That is our prerogative as well. Uh, they're looking at them in the administration. Even uh, Biden's private attorneys have seen them, but they're blocking uh, Congress from actually getting access to that. Uh, they can't do that. And so we'll continue to be able to push back on that as well to be able to make sure national security is not risked here as well. Yeah. When it comes to security for the country and from what you've seen within the Intelligence Committee right now, what is the biggest threat to America? Is it Russia? Is it China? Or is it the Middle East? I mean, what's what's the big threat that we need to be concerned about most importantly? 
Well, yes, on that one, actually. Uh, China is the single biggest threat by far, uh, based on their technology, their, uh, their economy, and the very aggressive stance they're taking militarily at this point. Uh, but I would tell you, uh, what's happening in Iran right now continues to be able to destabilize the entire region, and their active acts of terrorism and what they're doing in attacking their neighbors uh, has been relentless. It's not in our media all the time. I would tell you, Americans are being attacked by Iranians in Iraq. Uh, that's some of our American troops that are there. Iran is directly at attacking them. Uh, we have different countries in the region, like Jordan, uh, like the UAE, like Saudi Arabia, like others that are in the region that Iran is uh, directly putting attacks uh, into those countries. Uh, so while our national media just chooses not to talk about it, the destabilizing element in that entire Middle East and North Africa region is Iran. Uh, and they're going to continue to be able to do that both with cyber attacks uh, and with physical attacks with their drones. And then now, of course, they're giving drones uh, to Russia to be able to attack Ukraine to increase the, the carnage there. Sure. Last question for you, and I, I know that you got to run, and I appreciate the time, but probably the most important question that I'm going to ask you of the entire day here is uh, after the big omnibus package was passed back in December, it was a disaster of a bill. We know that financially, but there was one interesting piece in there regarding intelligence as well in the national security and regarding the uh, relaying of information to intelligence committees in the Congress regarding the understanding of UFOs. So I ask you, Senator, is how, do we have any new information on UFOs and our understanding of ETs? I, I can neither confirm nor deny ah. the existence of UFOs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have, a, I have a friend of mine, when I first went on the Intelligence Committee several years ago, he said, we've been friends for a long time. You gotta at least tell me on the intelligence committee: Do we have UFO? Do we have aliens or not? You gotta at least tell me that. Mm. Uh, so it, it, it is it is the bizarre thing. Most every uh, thing that's out there that uh, people have said this is unexplainable. Eventually, there's an explanation for. It, but there are a couple of them out there that look at it and go, I don't know what that is. All right, all right. We'll keep on that one then. We'll keep on it. I love it. It's U.S. Senator James <laughs> Langford from the state of Oklahoma. Keep up the fight, my friend. I know you're out of time. I really appreciate all the time you give us. But keep it up. Let's chat again here real soon. You bet. Look forward to it. Y'all take care. Stay warm. That again was U.S. Senator James Langford from the state of Oklahoma. Back after this to wrap it up right around the corner here on KQAM. Back into Candace Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker. Boom, there it is. U.S. Senator James Langford. Always appreciate his time very much. He gave us way more time than what we had anticipated. While we were doing that email, I got an email. Uh, while we did the interview with him, I got an email from his office saying, hey, we need to wrap this up. You're going way too long there, buddy. Hey, you give me the time, man. We're going to make it happen. There was a lot to talk about and so much more we could do. We'll get him back on the program again real soon next week stay tuned in we have some more great guests coming on the program as well we're going to focus more on some legislators we do have elizabeth uh, Patton. she is the state director for americans for prosperity in the kansas division so we'll talk with her about some more tax issues along with some other legislative work as well plus there's a gun show coming to town here in a couple of weeks hint hint wink wink may get an update with that on air as well that being said we're out of time for the day today, my friends. As always, it's a pleasure. Back at it again next week, uh, ready to rock and roll again. Long lineup, big lineup of guests coming up for The Voice Reason with our national broadcast coming up on Monday as well. Make sure to stay tuned in as we are the flagship station for that at 4 p.m. every day, Monday through Friday, right here on KQAM. Until then, everybody have a great weekend. Try and stay warm out there. Enjoy it. As the spring is right around the corner, I didn't see 
Did the groundhog actually see its shadow or not? I don't know if it did. We'll see what we're in for this winter. It's been a weird one anyways. Don't worry. The weather balloon from China will take care of it, right? <laughs> Maybe that'll be AOC's job is to monitor that. See you guys, everybody. Have a great weekend. Back at it again next week. It's Candace Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. Michael Brown with the weekend right around the corner on Wichita's Big Talker, 1480 AM and 99.7 HD 4 FM KQAM.